Please join me in Colossians chapter number 2, where we will begin at verse number 8 momentarily. The Apostle Paul has already developed here in the first two chapters of Colossians something that he, all, that he did in his uh, letter to the Ephesians, and that is, everything is about Jesus. Everything is connected in Jesus and we need to stick with Jesus. That is core to being a Christian. Here in Colossians, Paul now expresses a very real concern that he's had for a while, that Judaizing is a continued threat to Christianity. Now, what is Judaizing? Judaizing was the very first heresy in the church. You see it dealt with in Acts chapter number 15. Uh, It's extensively dealt with in the book of Galatians, which was written shortly after the events of Acts chapter number 15. Uh, It was the belief promoted by Pharisee types inside the church that all Gentiles had to be circumcised and convert to Judaism, become proselytes to Judaism, if they wanted to be saved by Jesus. And as I said, it was the first big heresy of the church and rejected by the apostles. But it held on despite that leadership um, uh, opposition. And so it keeps on rearing its ugly head from time to time. And the Apostle Paul seems to be aware that it's got a foothold there in the region where Colossae is located. So he tells them this, verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive. And so that's the way he's thinking about it, is they're out to grab you and put you under their control. So don't let them take you captive by philosophy. Uh, philosophy is the literally the love of wisdom. But unfortunately, it is often the love of human wisdom. The love of flawed wisdom. And sometimes the love of demonic wisdom. Because some uh, wisdom... Some philosophy has been generated by demonic influence into our world. And Paul is concerned about that. Uh, There is a wisdom from above, but there's also a wisdom from below. So he says, don't let them take you captive by philosophy, which often sounds very smart, uh, or empty deceit. Uh, Some of these um, personality cult leaders uh, give the impression that they they are so smart and have all the answers, but in fact, they're just empty suits. They're just empty bags of flesh. And Paul says, don't get sucked into that. According to human tradition, now that is where he's, he's starting to be more indicative of the 
of the Pharisaic problem because the Pharisees promoted the idea of tradition being key to relationship with God. You had to keep the traditions of the elders exactly as they were handed down. And, uh, of course, Jesus critiqued that when he was uh, going through his ministry. He called the Pharisees hupakratai, which means play actors, because they they claimed that they had relationship with God, but they were actually just going through rituals without a relationship. And so Paul says, don't, don't let them take you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, this, this is interesting because uh, the wording here is about the building blocks of creation itself, about what brought everything into existence, how it all fits together. And it was a word that came up in philosophical discussions. You know, what are the building blocks of the universe? Uh, But for Jewish philosophers, the law and the traditions of the elders about that law were the actual building blocks of the universe. And so Paul is actually still referring to the Judaizers here. So see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So he sees these in opposition to one another. The Judaizers with their Pharisaic philosophy versus Jesus Christ. Verse number nine, for in him, in Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So that references what we saw earlier, that God was pleased that in Jesus, all the fullness of God would dwell in bodily form. So Jesus was God incarnate, as we say, God in the flesh. That was part of the plan. In fact, it was the core of the plan. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, which I love going back to, that Jesus, even though he was in very form God, emptied himself, divested himself of all his divine prerogatives, and took on the form of a human being, a bondservant, if you will. And being found in that form, he was obedient to God's plan. Even when that plan called for him to lay down his life as the atoning sacrifice for sin. And so that was the plan, is that Jesus, being God, would take on human form, actually be conceived in Mary's womb, and then go through that developmental phase and into birth and go through those early years and even be trained to work with his uh, adopted father Joseph in the the, uh, building trades. And he did all of that and was tempted in every way like unto us, but he did it without sinning. 
And once he'd accomplished that, he could then lay down himself as the perfect substitute for those of us that didn't live a perfect life. And because he's God, he can do it an infinite a number of times in one moment of time. And so Jesus was uniquely qualified as the God-man to be the atoning sacrifice for sin of anyone and everyone that would embrace him by faith. So that's what Paul is getting to. It's very deep theology here. So verse 9 again, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So he's speaking to Christians, he's speaking to believers who have embraced Jesus as their Savior. They've been immersed into his death and his resurrection. They've called upon the name of the Lord. They've had their sins washed away, taken away, and they've been filled with the presence of his Holy Spirit. And so with that, they are now full of Jesus. They don't need anything else. That's Paul's point that he's about to make here. Verse 11. In him, that is, in Jesus, also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now, remember the Judaizers, one of their big things was that if you want to convert to Judaism, you have to start by any of you men that are Gentiles being circumcised having a little bit of flesh cut off your sexual organ. But Paul says, you know what really happens to Gentiles who put their faith in Jesus Christ? They have their sin cut away from them. They are circumcised by the removal of their sinfulness and their shame and their guilt and their condemnation. So they are circumcised not in the flesh, but in the spirit world. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in immersion, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So this is part of the, the symbolism involved in the Christian practice of immersion. It is the washing that takes away sin. It is the connection of us to his death and to his resurrection. Uh, many of us, when we practice uh, immersion of someone, we will quote, uh, buried with him in the likeness of his death and raised again to new life. And we're referencing passages like this that there's a symbolism involved in immersion. 
And so Paul here is connecting it again. It's a it's a fresh start. It's a it's a redo. It is a being born again time. And he even says it's like the circumcision of sin away from you. The circumcision of your old life away from you, never to be seen again. And this is all connected to the power of God at work in the incarnate God, Jesus, dying and rising again himself. Uh, I I dare quote again for you uh, one of my favorite memory passages that I hope you will take into your own head. Uh, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, that's the core to the Christian lifestyle, is Jesus died, rose again, And I died with him and rose again to live a new life. And so that's where Paul is at right now here in Colossians chapter number 2, ready for verse number 13 now. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. uh, That's a reference, uh, if, if you're keeping track, back to Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, when you were dead in your sins and your transgressions, uh, you've been made alive again in Christ Jesus. So that's a parallel, because these two books were written in a matter of hours from each other. You who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, so you Gentiles particularly, you were dead. You were out of it. You had no connections. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all us, all our trespasses. So even though the Gentiles had been separated from God, the moment they embraced Jesus as their Savior and Lord, that all changed. They quit being dead. They quit being spiritually uncircumcised. They quit being lost. Instead, they became saved and forgiven and alive again in Jesus. Verse 14 says that it was by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Uh, This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, a lot of people do not like this, but I can't help that. It is straight-up teaching. Uh, This is parallel to what Paul was writing about in Ephesians when he said that Jesus destroyed the dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles, and that dividing wall was the law in its written form. The Ten Commandments and all of the explanatory and application commandments that came after it. That was It had a purpose. Paul makes that very plain in the book of Galatians. It was to get the Jewish people from Mount Sinai to Mount Calvary. To get them from the time that they came out of Egypt 
until they could come into Christ. It was like a pedagogos, a child-leading servant in a household, charged with the father of the household to get their kids to the teacher. And they were told, that is the pedagogos, was told, you can beat the child, that is give it discipline, Uh, you can get after it, until it gets to the teacher. Make sure it gets to the teacher. That's your job. Uh, Once you do that, you're done. And so the law's job was to get the Jewish people, the ethnic group of the Jews, from the time of Moses to the time of the Master, Jesus Christ. And then it was finished. It was not needed anymore. In fact, it becomes a bit of a distraction. And so it was canceled, just like a bill of indebtedness is canceled. Uh, You've heard this before. I'm going to repeat it. Uh, When Jesus cried out from the cross, the words that we commonly translate as, it is finished, the word is tetelestai. And it was the word written on documents of debt once that debt was paid in full. And so Jesus actually cried out from the cross something along the lines of paid in full. And what do you do with uh, paid in full uh, indebtedness documents? Well, I don't know about nowadays, but used to be when you paid off a mortgage, you would have a big mortgage burning party. Uh, You destroyed it. You got rid of it because it was no longer binding on you. And so this is exactly what Paul is trying to get across here in Colossians to the people that are being hassled by the Judaizers. You can't force Gentiles to become Jewish and keep the Jewish law because the Jewish law does not apply anymore. It has been set aside. It was nailed to the cross. Now, I know, again, I've already made some of you mad because you don't believe that. But the reason you don't believe that is because you've been taught incorrectly by Judaizers. And you need to come out of that. You need to read Acts chapter 15. You need to read the book of Galatians. You need to read Colossians and Ephesians and take it at face value. Gentiles are not required to keep the law in order to be saved. They are only to be saved by Jesus, faith in his death and his resurrection. Verse number 15, Paul uh, now has a picture of a parade. Uh, This is a victory parade. It's very um, first century uh, Roman Empire uh, context. When Roman uh, armies were involved in a military campaign, against an enemy of the people, and they defeated them. 
they would have a victory parade, a triumphal procession uh, for the, uh, the general, the Roman general, and all his forces that had done away with the bad guys. And they would bring uh, some of the bad guys back and make them march through the streets of Rome uh, to their deaths or to uh, slavery, uh, just as a reminder to the Roman people, hey, you remember those, those guys that caused trouble for us? You remember those people that were uh, harming the people and interests of the Roman Empire? Well, they are defeated. And so Paul grabs hold of that cultural concept and he applies it to Jesus and what he did at the cross. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's Satan and his ilk, Satan and the fallen angels. He disarmed them by taking away their ability to make accusations against those that have been forgiven. See, Satan can make all the accusations he wants against me as a Christian, but they won't be valid because that's been dealt with. Jesus Christ took that guilt away. And so the accusations are empty. So he's been disarmed. So that's what Paul says. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So the uh, disarmed general of the opposition, the disarmed soldiers of the opposition, would march through the streets of Rome, and uh, then eventually uh, they were, like I said, either executed or uh, taken off to slavery. Uh, Jesus has beaten Satan, and he is being held up. That is, Satan is being held up to uh, open shame amongst believers because we see he has no power anymore over us. And eventually, he will be put into hell, and that'll be the end of that. And so all of that is there in verse number 15. Uh, so those who are believers have no reason to resort to Judaism in the sense of Phariseeism as a mechanism of salvation. That's off the table. It has no purpose. It has no point. So as Paul had said earlier, don't let anyone uh take you captive by all that sort of stuff. Uh, verse number 16, he gets very specific. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Uh, one of the distinctions between Jewish people and non-Jewish people revolved around kosher food and drink. And so Paul just comes right out and says, don't any of you Gentile believers in Jesus, don't you let anyone judge you or call against you because of what you're eating and drinking? Because that's off the table. There is no kosher requirements for you. Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, 
See, these are very Jewish distinctives as well. Uh, festivals like Sukkot, which is Pentecost, or uh, uh, the uh, time of tabernacles or, or Passover. Jewish people can still keep all that. That's no big deal. But these people cannot force Gentiles who are believers in Jesus to keep these things as a mechanism of salvation. It's, it's not appropriate. Uh, new moons, um, the uh, first day of every Jewish month was considered to be a non-work day. It was a day off. And uh, so Paul says, no, you can't force Gentiles to do that either, or any Sabbath. So this goes against all of those who try to claim that Christians have to keep the Sabbath day. The Scripture says that is not the case. Now, don't get me wrong. Christians need time off. They need to have a time where they don't work, and they need to have that on a regular basis. That's just good practice. But they can't be forced to keep the Sabbath day of the Jews as some means of salvation. That is heresy. That is Judaizing. And Paul says it's wrong. Verse number 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So when a bright light shines against objects, it casts a shadow on the other side, right? So the brilliant light of Jesus Christ cast a shadow into the Old Testament, and that shadow was the Mosaic Law and all of that because, as I said, the Jewish people were being directed forward in time to meet the Messiah. So they had shadow things that they were dealing with, the law. But the real thing was Jesus, and they needed to meet him. Uh, people would be silly if meeting someone uh, that they've been looking for uh, instead of embracing the person, they went over and tried to embrace the shadow on the wall. That would be just goofy. Well, that's what Paul is kind of describing here, is quit embracing the shadow and have a relationship with Jesus. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, which is refraining from food and drink and activities or the worship of angels, or going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Uh, so again, we've run out of time today. So basically, Paul at this point is going to start describing some of the things that the Judaizers were engaged in, which they were trying to force on Gentile believers in Jesus. And Paul says, resist that. Don't give in to it. 